This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 180, The Fractured Void Review. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. So today we're going to talk about the Twilight Imperium book, The Fractured Void. Yes. We'll talk about it later. But I am just curious, Hunter, how much do you read? Because this was... A, <laughs> this, I don't. I don't read almost ever. If I do any right. reading, it's it's not reading. It's audio. I listen to audiobooks, which I will... Yeah. I'll go on the record saying I still count that as reading, but whatever. I don't read books very often in like my living room or whatever. Uh, yeah. And so I'm curious how this experience was for you or if this is part of your normal sort of behavior. Now, here's how books go for me. And this is good. This is a good place to start. You should know who I am as a book reader before you hear my opinions on a book. That (laughs) If our opinions differ, you can be like, well, that's why. (laughs) I'm the type of guy that picks up like maybe like a hard book to read, like some, I don't know, like Thomas Pynchon or yeah, something like, like that. Exactly. You, get, you, you grab Gravity's Rainbow. It's like, let me go ahead and dive right into this. And, and then what happens is I'll read it for a day yep. and, I'll, and I'll like it. I'll say, hey, yeah. this seems good. And I bet this is really good. Too bad. Oh, and then I never it was too read hard. It. <laughs> I'm too dumb. Yeah, I've done that with David Foster Wallace for sure. Uh, yeah, if if I can't listen to it, I don't. I, I it becomes significantly more difficult to engage. Well, and also like you know, well, do they do audiobooks of like? Would that be funny if they did audiobooks for something like? Do they do audiobooks for like a like big deep yeah. like a Murakami? It's not a- interesting audiobook? to listen to though because it's so droll. Like it's. It, I mean, I don't know about Murakami, but like I tried to listen to Infinite Jest for all of 15 minutes once, and it was just like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to listen to this. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm used to listening to Game of Thrones, and Game of Thrones has a like famously or infamously like cartoonish uh, narrator, which right. I am all you about. You need it to be cartoony. I, I want yeah. that. Even even with Game of Thrones, where it's like it's not really that cartoony of a setting, but like he comes in and he's doing voices like this, and then he turns and he's doing. <laughs> And it's like all over the place but like that wraps me up in it and also like really helps me uh distinguish the characters like he, he is all about just like i'm gonna make these characters so obviously different voices like it won't even make sense why they're coming from the regions they're coming from but their voices right. will be so distinct that you always know who you're hearing and what's going on and and you know you need that with an audiobook it's not like a realistic uh, no. thing with you yeah um I'll say this, so I guess the book I read before, I read Dune yeah. uh, for, because I was going to start a book club that for our Patreon, great. and then that That, that was, shows how <laughs> much we read books. We were like, let's do a book club. <laughs> Anyways, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I read Dune a lot when I was, I read a lot when I was a kid, I'll yeah. tell you that much. Yeah. When I was a kid, I read all the time, and now, not so much. I mean, I like, you know, you, you know what, if you want to catch me, I never plug any of my other projects, but... Uh, I do watch a lot of movies, and I'm on another podcast called Read It and Weep, where we talk about a movie every week, just like a normal, uh, boring movie podcast. Except it's not boring, because I'm on it. Um, 
but yeah, that's a fun uh, show I do with my friends, uh, Alex Falcone and uh, Anthony Lopez. Yeah. Uh, and you should check it out. It, yeah. It's it's good. I, I like movies. I like talking media criticism type stuff. But am I a book guy? Not really, I guess. Yeah, I'm not either. So re- reading this book was definitely more difficult for me. But you and I both essentially knocked it out in like two days. Yeah. So I don't yeah, know did what that fast. says about the book or what it says about us. Shoved let's it. let's uh, do yeah, some announcement first. We need to do an announcement work. before we yeah. get into it. Yeah. So first up, uh, the tournament signups are officially closed. Now, Hunter and I are actually recording this like exactly two hours before they formally close. But I'm also not expecting any more people to sign up because it's been really, really slow signups the last couple days. So anyways, with that in mind... We believe we have the final count, uh, which did not end up hitting 396, but that's okay. I, I actually welcome that. Uh, yeah. It's less, <laughs> less people I have to manage. Uh, so the final total of the tournament is 336 players. And the yes. way that equals out is 192 buys with 144 qualifying players so those 144 qualifying players will play 24 qualifying games to earn the last 24 slots that the 192 buys need in their prelims round to make 36 prelims games that's how all the math works out so then from there what we're doing and there's been some confusion and i understand the confusion it's like a weird process but again we're doing all of this as like the goal with this tournament is a big club hang out with our patreon it is it is not as formal as other tournaments and i get that that causes confusion so what is the wait list now exactly so we are going to open up signups for the wait list this coming saturday february 27th at 4 p.m central standard time so it's the same time all of these other signups have been 4 p.m central standard time but this time it will not be an email going out it's just going to be a new post that we put up on patreon so if you're trying to get like hot on the trigger be refreshing your patreon page uh, at that time on uh this coming saturday so that wait list is the list of people who if we get deliberate drops from our games we will bring in waitlist players that does not mean if someone isn't showing up for a game uh, but we had like we've had other some form of contact with them. We'll probably try to pull like a qualifying player into the prelims game, right? We we will do what we can right, to but use a, a the three hundred and thirty six available players first. All of them are I, trying I, to get I into wanna, games. I want to correct that real quick. So what what he means by a qual we're we're not the goal here is for this to be as fair as possible. But also we don't know how realistic anything that we're saying is mm-hmm. because we have no idea. Like honestly, everyone listening to this that is in the tournament, everyone individually you will have a level of responsibility for how well this all goes. You know what I mean? Like if you don't show up, then that's going to be a problem and yeah. we'll have to fix it somehow. Yeah. Um, if we have a lot of people not show up, then we will have to fix it in ways that I can't currently right. even tell you what we would yeah. do. That's what's always but, funny to me is people ask us like, well, what will you do if a bunch of people don't show up? And it's like, well, my God, I hope a bunch of people do show Like I hope everyone shows up. I, I don't right. have an exact answer that because it will be it, like we've said before, oftentimes it is things we have to deal with in the moment. Sometimes people message me a month before their game saying like, hey, I'm going to have to bail. And we go, okay, that's easy. We'll fix it. Yeah. Sometimes. I just want to give, I want to give people an idea of the structure as far as the hierarchy of things. So we have all the people in the buy round. Um, What happens if, if one of them drop out? Well, so these qualifying games are actually going on at the same time. Yeah. So while we're scheduling these prelim games, we're also going to have this secondary bank of people that have won their qualifying games. So we're actually going to have several layers of people to reach out to right now just imagine how those layers work though right like we have if we can't find okay so so somebody didn't show up for their buy round okay are any of the qualify the qualifying winners 
yeah. going to be available. No, none of them. Like eventually this comes down to just like, can we find someone who is a, a warm body to right. be in the thing? Exactly. It's too big. And there's only two of us. And, and, and here's I, the, honestly, I'm not even any good at any of the administrative <laughs> stuff. I'll right. tell you that. So it's really just like one person. <laughs> well, and the, and the reality of it, too, is you have to keep in mind, we're talking about people who drop like literally maybe an hour beforehand. And, and that's when I start scrambling. And the whole thing of that is these games are too big to just like, well, all right, we'll reschedule those five players. Like there are people who have set aside their entire Saturday. They've taken off work for this yes. or whatever. There are yes. any number of reasons people have set aside time to do that. And I'm not going to disrespect them because someone else disrespected them. I'm going to try to make their game happen. That's my priority. My priority yes. is not, was it done exactly fairly in terms of the hierarchy of who should have been allowed in that game? If I can't find anybody and I need to make this game happen, I'm going to find a body. And that's right. just, that's how it's going to go. Because I, it, I would rather respect the five players. Because this tournament is for the patrons. It is not, like, this exact bureaucratic regimented thing that, like, has to be done in order. It's like, no, right. I don't, I actually don't care about that. And maybe that's upsetting to hear. I don't know. But I would well, rather no, get everybody a, in a, a game. Huge, there's a huge positive to what you're saying. Right. Which is that if you are someone that cares about this a lot... Uh, maybe you're not even in, maybe you're not even on the list at this right. point. Uh, and you care about it a lot and you have availability when we will be playing, which is on Saturdays and Sundays. You're probably, you'll probably get in. There's yeah. it's probably still open to you. Right. Like that's probably still going to happen. That's, that is the, the beauty of the system. The, the, the more that, that you care about it, the more you could make yourself available to it. Like, oh, oh, they need somebody right now. Like, I'm going to yeah. get in there. Like right. that, that will happen. Yeah. That happens. It's a very accommodating tournament as best as we can make it. It, it. it is not our intention to just like make it this thing where like, no, we're very much leaving people. That was the entire, if we wanted to do that, we would have stuck with the 216 players. And if you didn't make it in, good riddance. But we right. clearly have over a hundred people that that would have screwed over. So we would rather got, get those extra 120 people into this thing yes. rather than leave them all out. So yes. that's 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 your tournament update. <laughs> uh, so again, I'll give you those date that date again. If you have not, th this applies to people who signed up for the Patreon in February, think they would be, thinking they would be, be able to get into the tournament. Or this applies to anyone else. If you just want to sign up right now, right this second, you can go sign up and then wait for the waitlist sign up Saturday the 27th at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now, actually, just to reiterate again, because I feel like no matter everything, every time we say anything about the tournament, there is a Panic. lot of confusion yeah. every single time. And it is very bewildering to me, to be honest. But I just want to make everything very clear. So what you are signing up for on Saturday is to get on the wait list. Yep. This, you, are, the, you are then going to be a, a wait lister. That is yep. going to be a Discord role. Mm -hmm. And meaning when we need, when there are drops... We are going to try and add you into the tournament. Yep. So, again, to bring all the stuff about availability and how much you want to do this into it, if you're a waitlister that really wants to do this and you have a lot of the right kinds of availability, which is Saturday and Sunday, then yep. um, your chances of getting in, I would say, are pretty high. Like, literally, last year, we, we, have, never, we have never excluded anyone from this tournament uh, in like an arbitrary way, it's always been that that they they weren't able to make the the, the game the scheduled game right. But we we've gone through the wait like every waitlister in yep. all of our other tournaments has always gotten an opportunity to say yay or nay. Now we are we have described the situation where that happens. It's it's very short notice, so we yep. totally get it. If you're like you know what, 
if I sign up for this wait list, I'm probably not even going to be able to make it because I'm just kind of a busy person. Totally get it. Yep. Totally get it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's get into some uh, root Corvid conspiracy errata before we do our little book review. So uh, just some quick, some quick stuff. Uh, first up, we have Jolnar Binks. Honestly, I don't even use bombs almost ever. People are forced <laughs> to constantly guess bomb and give me free cards. It's great. I love this. This is the thing. We, we talked a lot about uh, bombs in general and kind of how the difficulty of using them. But honestly, this is a great strategy of like, they're the scariest thing and anybody could ever have. And if you just never use it, like yeah. you really can throw people off for a while the more you just don't use bombs. Now, you know if, really if everybody funny? knows you're just absolutely not using bombs, then that they'll be able to predict that, right? But I, th sure. this is a tricky. This is the kind of tricks you can pull as Corvids, basically. You know what's really funny, Matt, is I just heard what you just said with like naked ears, like regular ears, uh -huh. and it was the most bewildering podcast left turn <laughs> I've ever heard in my life like i heard this podcast with ears that did were not familiar with board games and you just went you went like face first into that errata yeah. like you were just I like know. anyways corvid errata jolnar binks honestly yeah. i don't ever use bombs ever like <laughs> well i'm sorry i'm sorry for the shifty tone but <laughs> no, i want to get through funny. this we got a lot to cover today yeah whatever um, and people know, the, the, the real issue is I know that the second I said Corvid or like Root, there's a handful of people that literally like started hitting the 30 second skip yes. ahead. Yeah, that's button. fine. So it's like they, they didn't even hear it. So the people who want want this are not thrown off by the shift in tone. I know. I just, it's just funny. I know. So funny. Justin K uh, gave us this pre errata. Uh, regarding tr uh, crafting, there's a narrow case for code breakers. We talked about code breakers, uh, the card that lets you look at other people's hands, and we were kind of like, I don't see much use for this. this. This feels like a waste of time. There's a narrow case for code breakers, which is it tells you what cards someone has available to expose with. If you know someone can't expose in a certain suit, you can plot more aggressively, obviously, against them in those clearings. And since it's a one-mouse craft, it's not really an investment on your part. Again, I'm not saying code breakers is secretly a craft-me-daddy card, but there's this one way corvids can get value out of it that is the unique to their faction yeah i i agree and i'm fine with that i still think i would probably just hold on to that card in case i need a mouse recruit uh, i feel like i would rather use it as that but one of the things we covered a bunch was that corvids aren't specifically always hurting for cards so sometimes it's like yeah i got this mouse card i'm probably going to overdraw this turn might as well craft it and it, it doesn't hurt it's not like there's any negative to getting code breakers it's just a very very niche scenario where it might help you out yeah, I think that's fair. I actually kind of like it, though. Like, yeah. like I, I don't play Corvids that much. That so doesn't mean much if I like it, but I, I like the situation that Justin describes here. Yeah. Uh, so last up, we've got Marcus the Cat, and there's actually kind of a follow-up from Justin K to help kind of sell the whole point. But uh, Marcus the Cat, we we already referenced as pre-errata for last week's episode. Um, and, and I knew I was going to get uh, errata from Marcus the Cat because Marcus the Cat has a very big guide on BoardGameGeek that we mentioned last week. And it, it differs quite a bit from, like, the exact strategy we went with. So I, again, encourage you to go check it out because if you want, if, if you felt our approach was too passive or too defensive, uh, his is much more aggressive. So let's, let's hear what Marcus the Cat has to say. I wholeheartedly disagree with the episode's assessment of Propaganda Bureau. Uh, we, we definitely downplayed it. I basically said it's like uncraftable. Uh, it's one of the Exiled and Partisans' strongest cards. And since the Corvids won't always have a use for their hand in the same way as other factions, as we've noted, uh, it's an efficient way to boost recruiting while also policing other factions. Uh... I'm going to skip ahead to Justin K's uh, contribution to Marcus's point. I think Propaganda Bureau, 
as a way to basically get a free plot action out of your turn. If you can put a crow in a clearing where you have at least one other warrior already, that's a plot that starts out defended without having to spread more actions to move additional warriors into place. And if the warrior you're propagandizing was the only enemy warrior in that clearing, then you've also now forced your opponents into spending an extra action to move into your clearing to battle expose you, which is always good. So the the defense against Propaganda Bureau that I made is the card itself can be worth a four crow recruitment and to use the card it it's it only gains you one and makes them lose one so to me that was like just a straight up loss of value but basically what they're saying here is there is a more utility aspect to Propaganda Bureau that Mm -hmm. we didn't give a time in the sun Um, so the idea that you can you don't always need cards for crafting like we've already said so we were kind of just leaning into the 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 value proposition of it and not thinking enough about the actual utility. And and I, I agree with all of this. I think there is some real utility here. I just think it's, it, it's also a very difficult card, to, a seemingly difficult card to craft. It, it is certainly easier for Corvids to get it, but um, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with any of the things said here. I think it's the versatility yeah. that is, is what they're describing is like the fact that, that you're not having to play by the normal rules right. of like, plopping them in yeah. separate things so yeah. yeah i i get it it makes sense uh, marcus the cat also says i f- also feel that eerie emigre and false orders were undersold especially as corvids are the only faction that can craft and use these cards in the same turn that is a point i didn't really note on at all uh, in crafty corner and is certainly important and should have been a big part of judging the value of um of different craftables because the idea that you can craft it and then immediately use it is definitely a big deal. I will grant though that I play a much more aggressive crow game than you seem to be proposing. Uh, mostly because I don't think a flip plots to 30 is actually feasible outside of king making scenarios, which I definitely agree with that and, and pulled a lot of my understanding of that point from Marcus, the cat specifically. So I agree if you're just going to flip plots to try to get to 30, you're never going to, you will never win a game as the crows. Um, but I, I definitely can give more credence to false orders especially and uh, for me to a lesser extent eerie emigrate in the idea that for other factions you have to craft it and be like i hope this comes in handy at some point whereas crows can have false orders look at the board craft it and immediately do it because they craft in their bird song and those two abilities are done in bird song so um yeah v- very very good point i think with those two cards and definitely boosts them quite a bit in my uh in my ranking of good cards yeah yeah that's fair but also the thing with the false orders is it's like it's not like we said false orders was bad, no. and this is just an extra consideration sure. uh, that makes it more... It doesn't even necessarily mean that, to me, that if you have false orders, this now means that you should craft it right, right. away. It's, it's honestly a, it just is an like, argument now for it why be in your hand. Yeah, it's slightly more craftable because of the idea that you can just do it when you need it, and you don't you, yes. you don't have to do it ahead of time or anything. Cool. That's yeah. all we got. That's, that is the Corvid errata. Thank you to everyone. Uh, and that means we've only got one more root learning episode left hunter you got to bring us a duchy guide here soon and then we'll be done yeah, it's gonna with be easy the factions that are easy. currently available to us i think some people have questions of when we'll get to marauders and um certainly not until it's released i i uh not only do i not want to do a guide that is immediately undone because the faction changes but i also i don't like playing things that are in development um, i actually quite dislike it I, I learned this during oath uh we we were decently you know, ears to the ground during oath, oath development, but I find it incredibly difficult to to go through the changes. You know, you come back to the game and there's like four completely new mechanics. That is really jarring for me and makes it hard to like 
assess what's going on. So I think we will definitely wait until Marauders is out and published and in our hands before we touch any of the content that is going to be coming in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Well, All right. here we go. It's it's media <laughs> criticism time. It is <laughs> it is uh, our opportunities to... This is like our only opportunity to review anything mm-hmm. on this show because yeah. we don't review board games. Well, and we, I, uh, I don't... As we noted earlier, I don't feel equipped to review a book. So I guess we'll see how this goes. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel equipped to, to, to talk about it. Sure. I just want people to know that my experience is not i am not the most academic yep. uh perspective about it i guess i also want to note here we're, so we're going to start with a bunch of non-spoiler stuff the spoiler stuff will be after the ad break um i'll have a time code in the in the episode notes to denote like when the ad break is basically and you'll know everything after that point is going to be spoiler ridden so we're going to do our best to avoid spoilers now we might talk about some stuff that happens in like the first couple chapters i think we're giving ourselves permission to sort of talk about things that become obvious in the first like 20 to 50 pages or whatever yeah maybe less than that but but we're gonna avoid like broad broad spoilers so uh first off what what kind what kind of sci-fi book is this? And I really want to I want to go back to Hunter and you and I talking about like what books we have read. I want to talk about what sci-fi books we have read or listened to or experienced and where does this fall kind of in that in that chasm <laughs> in the spectrum of different sci-fi books. So what to you what kind of sci-fi book is this? Uh this is a tie-in fiction sci-fi <laughs> book. This is a uh, you know, I'm not the only person that, that noticed this. Somebody, uh, in the pre-errata noticed this. I want to pull it out real quick. Cause this, uh, it's separately before I even read the pre-errata, I was thinking that this reminded me specifically of Star Wars tie-in fiction from like the early nineties. Yeah. I don't know if you, I don't, Matt, I don't think you grew up reading these no, books, but I, I when I was a child, I was such a Star Wars fan that I would read uh, Star Wars books. I specifically read these Star Wars books that were, um, I forget what they were called, but they were just like about X-Wing pilots, yeah, like Starfighter stuff. Right, um, right. This was so, J-Mac. J-Mac is who said it's, it, uh, yeah. it felt like an old Star Wars book. Yes. Um, I would say that tone, if that's something you're already familiar with, I think it's kind of that. It feels a little bit more uh, modern. Sure. Uh, I would say in some ways that we'll get to our, uh, later. Um, but it's like an adventure story. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, it's like people, people going from, from place to place. And there's, uh, there's some, some heisty aspects. Our, our main characters are like pirates. So it kind of has like a, like a bit of a, I don't know. They're like, they're like stealing stuff sure. and stuff like that. You You can feel the inspirations of things like, dune and the expanse series right you can feel that this writer likes those books mm-hmm. but he is clearly tim pratt is clearly writing i mean he's writing within a license that is not his own this is not a universe that he's come up with so he yeah he is beholden to other people's uh intents right he doesn't get to just decide how things work he has to follow rules um, yes. and i think that restricts it in a lot of ways um some ways i i find um troublesome not troublesome but like harder to read but in some ways i i think it's just fun and it gives it gives you a chance to sort of go along the ride i think a lot of people have compared this to like marvel cinematic universe type stuff too it's it's just a very pulpy kind of book it it, yeah. it is light sci-fi yeah um which is which is interesting and might i think it's important for us to kind of 
to kind of lead in with this, especially before we get into uh, spoiler spoiler talk. Because if you're listening to this thinking like, oh, I want to buy this book, uh, I think that you that you could easily from the Twilight Imperium universe come in with um, expectations that are a little bit mismatched. Yeah. Um, because it's very clearly, uh, just to make it super simple for me, it's like, you know, something is either more Star Wars than Star Trek. Uh-huh. Every sci-fi thing can be measured on a Star Wars, Star Trek continuum, especially if it's pulpy anyways. I mean, you have like, you know, like cyberpunk and stuff like that. That doesn't neatly fit into either. But uh, this is way more Star Wars, which I think is, that would maybe be a little surprising. That is not necessarily what I expected. Although uh, it is funny, uh, this would, reading this book, and then listening to the very infamous uh, Twilight Imperium, the movie episode featuring me and Alex Lilburn. Um, there are some funny parallels, actually. Um, not saying that Tim Pratt listened to sure. the Twilight Imperium movie episode, but we definitely talked about some concepts that ended up in this book, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing I will say is this book is very much a a prequel to... The Prophecy of Kings expansion. Um, yes. F- from a, just from a uh, capitalism standpoint, like this book was very obviously like we are trying to broaden the horizon of Twilight Imperium. Us at Fantasy Flight as the owners of the Twilight Imperium license, they are clearly trying to do more with it. Um, and this was that first glimpse of what that could look like. And this book came out before Prophecy of Kings was released, which meant people would be reading it before they knew all of the things that were in Prophecy of Kings. Now, obviously, it's assumed you're a big fan of Twilight Imperium, so you were probably tuning into our show reading the, about the new factions as they were coming out. But if, if you were the, a type of person who like grabbed this book but then didn't spoil anything about Prophecy, Prophecy of Kings, this would have been a very interesting build-up to the events of Prophecy of Kings, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It, we're not getting into spoilers, but Prophecy of Kings itself is kind of spoilers for, like, this book. This book happens before the events take place uh, in basically the, the intro narrative to Prophecy of Kings. So you can also put it in that in that sort of headspace of, like, I'm reading this because I would just like a little bit more backstory. I can't even say it fully follows up on like really feeling like a bunch of backstory but you definitely get some new perspective on the events of prophecy of kings and you and you feel those events a little bit more tangibly yeah um how much do we want to describe the conflict uh the like the the narrative thrust of the story in the non-spoiler uh half well let's i I think we can do a decent amount uh the, the the primary conflict of this uh story is a ragtag team of Mentak Coalition uh, pirates. Pirates. There's are, three of them, you know, it's, though, it's, to, it's, to be... Don't three. dream big. There's, yeah, there's yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> three. Three characters uh, are being hired to go look into uh, some some weird going on goings-on on this uh, planet in their kind of sector that they are supposed to be keeping a watch out for. And the thing that arises out of that is this scientist who is trying to develop a piece of technology that is, by his judgment, going to change the galaxy forever. Uh, and, and they have to kind of follow along with that um, goal of finishing this piece of technology. And so it's, it's, all the, it's a lot of like MacGuffin stuff of like, you got to get this so that you can get that thing so that we can finish the item and, and do the thing that we want to do. So it's, it's a lot of traipsing about the galaxy uh, trying to find stuff to finish the goal of completing this item. So you get to go to a few different destinations that are 
linked to, diff- to different uh, factions. We can we can kind of spoil. I think just the idea of you get a decent look at some Barony stuff, some Jolnar mm-hmm. stuff, uh, and some kind of outside of faction like. Uh, a a notable location in the book is Vega Major and Vega Minor, and you learn a little bit more about that specific system. So there's little little beats like that where you kind of get a glimpse at the deeper lore of specific locations uh, within the story. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a good summary. It is it is uh, I think what we called it in the Twilight Imperium movie episode. It, it is a ship story. It's yeah. like it's like from the perspective of um, essentially. Uh, one one ship manned by uh, a small group of pirates. Yeah, um, there is an Asarl character yeah. uh, on the pirate ship. There is a Hakan character. The, the Mentak Coalition being kind of our perspective on the galaxy. Um, while that might be surprising to some people, uh, it does actually make a lot of sense because we get to feature a lot of different characters because the coalition is is not uh, you know it's not it's it's not like a specifically this this group of people thing it is literally like a a coalition you know so yeah it's the perfect setting for the idea of like hey we want to just be able to quickly i mean this isn't a very long book so to quickly uh showcase a few factions you don't see all 24 factions in this book that would be ridiculous uh it would either be way too fast or it would be like ten thousand pages long it'd be ridiculous um, mm-hmm. So you get a glimpse at some factions. Uh, there is also, it's introduced a little bit later, but you basically also get to follow along with your main antagonists in the story. Uh, and those antagonists are a human, I guess, we'll say from the Federation of Soul. There's all sorts of things going on with this particular human, though, but they somewhat represent Federation of Soul. Uh, and they are along with uh, someone from the Barony of Letnev. So so really, the whole story takes place between these three Mentak characters and these two uh, sort of odd couple uh, soul and barony characters. Yeah, yeah. And their angle on the story, uh, well, and actually this kind of applies to the whole book, but there is, there's definitely, um, I would say there, there's not a lot of uh, political intrigue. Yeah. However, espionage is definitely a word I would use to describe kind of what, uh, what the nature of the conflict is. And also I feel like having your expectation be like, this is about as as far as the political intrigue goes i would say it's about as much as like you would get in like a james bond movie not to say that like this is like a james bond story like it's nothing like that but i just mean like in general the politics is not at the forefront it's more of a background concern that um some of the characters have or some of the characters refer to anyways yeah Um, i would even i think that would be good expectation to set i I would go as far too to say that this there's a lot of points in which this book doesn't um sort of like we were saying before like it it doesn't do what things like dune or the expanse or other things where they're having to build their own world tim pratt isn't doing that which which sets up this kind of awkward problem of it's not his world to build and if anything he comes into it assuming you kind of know the world which means there are lots of times if you don't know the world really well, if you don't know the lore, like I, I don't, I haven't like read every single, or if, if I've read every single faction sheet, it's been a long time since I've done that. And I've certainly not committed all of it to memory. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I was really hoping for this book to really flesh out lore for me. Um, and instead, a lot of the times it came off like it was planting Easter eggs for me to find. And if I didn't yes. already know what those things were, 
I, I completely missed them. It was nothing to me. It, it, it didn't serve any purpose because it was just a useless Easter egg. Um, that's not to say there he doesn't expound on some more. There are some there is some great stuff in there, like I said, about Vega Major and about Vega Minor. You learn a lot about uh, the inner conflicts within Barony societies, as well as sort of the dynamics of Joel and Nar, the two planets. Like you really get some of that fleshed out of like how things operate within the Galarian system, right? Um, so there are elements of like, oh, I actually got to open up a little bit and see some of the lore underneath, but I think there is less of that in there than I'd hoped for, and there are more Easter eggs than I hoped for. Yeah, um, there every once in a while, too, the, the Easter eggs w will kind of come to the forefront as far as like how the characters are talking to each other. And um, while that was never something that threw me off, I did I did kind of question like, how much Twilight Imperium uh, knowledge is the reader uh, expected to have? And I would say, I think you're, I'm, I'm just guessing here, because I'm kind of going outside of my own experience to say this, but I think if you have a lot of experience with the lore, you will probably um, get more enjoyment or pleasure out of this book, because it is kind of fun uh, to, to have, you know, these things from our weird little board game kind of expounded upon or even just mentioned. Right. Um, there are there are moments uh, where it is fun. However, I would also kind of use that against the book a little bit and say that if you are kind of like looking at this as uh, a possible gateway to the lore of Twilight Imperium, I would say like it maybe would disappoint a little bit yeah. because um, it, I, I feel like a lot of the fun stuff is not really explained to you. It, the book doesn't say here is the Twilight Imperium universe and and how it works. It sort of says like, all right, well, you sort of know how it works. Anyways, here's like the more specific beats of, yeah. of these various cultures right. um, in a way that, I don't know, it's kind of tough too, because, you know, it's like, how do you fit that into the narrative without introducing like a fish out of water yeah. um, style character, which can be kind of a cliche, but honestly, I think I maybe would have appreciated um, a cliche like that in order uh, for the book itself to feel very self-contained yeah. um as far as the lore yeah it just doesn't feel as inviting as i would have liked it's a very simple story and it's it's very kind of i would say somewhat action oriented or at the very least very like i mean it's a lot of witty snippy characters which is maybe a complaint for some people it's a lot of like overly witty banter um mm -hmm. but all of that stuff is makes it a, an easy read to kind of draw you in um and what it's not it's not doing very extensive world building is basically the the main point it, it it does a little bit here and there but certainly not on the scale of like some of the most popular sci-fi and fantasy worlds that exist out there it's it's not yeah. it doesn't feel like christian t peterson had this world in his head and now we're finally getting it down into a narrative context it doesn't feel like that at all it feels like somebody else wrote a story in someone else's universe yeah i will say when when the book shines though are those moments where it does kind of connect to the game and you do feel like you can kind of take this stuff yeah. home a little bit like this stuff For can sure. can sit inside of your own head canon um it's just that there's not a lot of that that there there are you know when the location concerns uh very specific game stuff it's th those are i think kind of the best elements yeah um, when it gets away from the game, which is actually, I would say a majority of the book, yes. yeah. um, is when it kind of loses that connection and that focus. And then it kind of becomes more, 
um, about how how much do you like these characters, right. um, which I think your mileage may vary a little bit there as far as uh, the characters go, because I, I feel like some of them, uh, they they make it a little bit, they're a little hard to like, yeah. I guess. They're, they're not made easy to 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 take in um which it's it's good for character i'm not saying like characters shouldn't have inner conflicts or they shouldn't have uh like problems right but it feels like some of the characters are uh, uh, they're kind of just a little bit messed up as people but it's <laughs> not like in a guardians of the galaxy type way where they're like lovable rogues it's like sometimes they do stuff and you're like whoa that was kind of messed up and then the book doesn't really the book doesn't really interrogate yep. that aspect of it so i i would i I, don't, I think that's about as far as I would go with describing the, the characters in the non-spoiler aspect, but I would just, I would want to prepare a new reader to say like, hey, these characters are going to do some stuff sometimes that's going to make you go like, oh, what? Wait. <laughs> Why are they doing that? What's, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Is there anything else we can talk about without a spoiler context or should we, should we cut to our ad and, and, and see what else we can say once we actually dive into the meat of this story? You got anything else that, that is plucking away at you? Um... No, I don't think so. I, I I think I'm good for this being the non-spoiler yeah. territory. I just want to say if if somebody is going to completely cut it off uh, right sure. here, um, I just want people to know that obviously we like completely support this book. Like, like yeah, we, I, I want to drive that point of, home more than anything yeah. is I, I wasn't looking for the next great, amazing piece of space opera fiction. Um, and I also wasn't expecting like utter trash and I didn't get either. I got, I, I got a perf, I think this is a perfectly fine book. I read it in two days. It's not a hard read. It didn't right. take that much from me and my life. You know what I mean? So I'm not going right. to hold anything against it. Um, there, there are flaws in it, but I think on the whole, you probably know if you're going to read this book. Um, right. I, I have tried to read, um, licensed fiction like this before and never succeeded. And if I didn't have to read this book for the podcast, I probably wouldn't have finished it. Um, unless at some point there is supposed to be a uh, audiobook version of this coming out, like sometime this summer is what Aconite Books has said. Um, I think I'll, I'll have to double check that. But either way, there there is an audiobook being worked on. And in that form, I probably would have checked it out because it would have taken me all of, you know, three days worth of driving to work to finish it. It's not a long book and, and I would have knocked it out pretty fast. And in that context, I would have read it. Um, but knowing how much I read normally, the only reason I read it is because I sort of needed to for the show. So, so people, people, I think know if they really want to read this or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're a huge TI fan and you, you just want to support the book, yep. I totally support you in the idea of buying the book. Um, if you heard some of our quibbles there and thought, oh, that maybe doesn't sound so great. Uh, then I would say, I, I think we're going to get another book, which is good. Yep. Um, and I think both me and Matt are are hoping that this is a starting point right. from which uh, TI fiction can maybe work uh, towards a, a, a better place. Because we do have some, we, we will get more into our problems in the spoiler centric part. Um, but we do, we do have some problems uh, with the book. So I give yeah. a very conditional recommendation yeah. of... Just like buy it if you want to support uh, Twilight Imperium stuff. If you don't have much patience for tie-in fiction that doesn't hit like a certain level of quality, um, then I would maybe say, hey, maybe wait and see if right. the. I'll say this, I the this is maybe the most spoilerific thing I would say. When you finish this book, you kind of have the feeling of like, 
was this kind of an ad for the next book and also the game? So I yeah. will say that. <laughs> I am more excited to play Prophecy of Kings now, and I'm more excited for the next book than I would say I truly enjoyed this book. And man, I, I hate all of this. If you're Tim Pratt and you're like your agent told you to listen to this episode because they happened to see it and they're like, oh, you could check out the, these people reviewed their book and they're big fans of the thing. Tim Pratt, I liked your book, okay? Yeah. I don't I don't want yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't want you specifically to come away from this thinking like, oh, we're gonna trash all over it. Um nah. but you know, we're here we are and we got it we gotta talk about it from this perspective. But the biggest thing is Hunter's takeaway of I, I, I want to support the stuff existing. Even if this first yes. book didn't blow me away, maybe that's me setting up my own wrong expectations for the first book in this in this world. I don't know what kind of restrictions Tim Pratt was under, how much he was allowed to expound upon in this universe. He right, not, he, right. His hands might be super tied. I have no idea. Um, so all I want is for more stuff in this space to exist so that we can continue to judge it on the merits as they all compare to each other, right? I want yeah. I want to see more books. I want to see graphic novels. Of course, we want to see the TI movie. We want to see it all. So I support it all existing, and not, even if I have my qualms with certain aspects of it, that doesn't mean I am upset that it exists. I, I love that it exists, and I want to see a lot more of it. Yeah, this we are we are weird people to review anything yep. TI related because we are invested in the brand. Um, we're like those uh, if you've ever watched uh, the Nerd Crew that YouTube show where they make fun of like shills. We're essentially <laughs> we're, shills. we're shills, but we're not we're not going to lie to you about us being shills. Yeah. So yeah, um, and also Tim, if you are listening, I would love for you to listen to the next section because I think us teaming up together. I think I think we can give you some feedback that will really push this further that might be the most arrogant thing i've ever said whatever i'll go a step show. further tim pratt if you're listening to this for some reason come on our show i want to we want to i want to talk to you we i want to totally hear about to all yes. the, the decisions you got to make i want to know what all went into this uh, or as much as you're allowed to talk about it, i don't know man but i i would love this is an open invitation if you are tim pratt or you know him get him on have him email Wait. me spacecatspeaceturtles yes. at gmail.com let's take an ad break so that we can actually dissect this uh from a spoiler context Okay, we are back, and it is now time to actually get into this thing. We can talk about what's going on. Let's let's start off spoiler session with. Should we just actually talk about what the story is about? Just an overview. Like, th I guess you could consider this the if you don't want to read the book, here's what the book is. Right here's, yeah. here's here's what it's about. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna uh, spoil it completely now. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we're gonna we'll be broad. I don't want to sit here for thirty minutes. Yeah, and, like, yeah, go yeah. Through everything, but um, Hunter, can you describe for me? In your view, the the our our I guess six main characters, and then we'll kind of go from there. Or I can take three, and you take the, you take the good guys. I'll take yeah. the bad guys. <laughs> I'll do. I'll 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 kind of I'll kind of start us off. So we've got we've got we start out. Um, we are in Mentac Coalition space, but kind of like a nowhere zone, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and our we meet our principal kind of good guy characters, although they are pirates, and and morally, it all gets a little uh, gray, but. But the, by the way they're written, it, it feels like these are the good guys, yeah. quote unquote. Right. Um, so we have Felix Duval, our uh, captain, which to be honest, um, I may have thought because of the name Felix, like Felix the cat. I know. Uh, thought maybe it was a Hakan, uh, but it's a human. Yeah, it tripped me up uh, the whole book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, so we have our human captain. Uh, we have an Isarl character uh, named, uh-oh. Tib? Uh, 
Tib? Don't, don't Tib. Don't remember the last one. Don't know if it's even addressed. But Tib. Yeah. Okay, Tib. Um, Tib is. Uh, I don't know if uh, she's second in command, but. She's they, a they, re- they basically refer to her as the second in command. I don't know. There's probably an official title. I'm, we're not going to be exact here, but yeah. she, she is especially, she's an Asarl. She's their, their like sleuth espionage person. She can go invisible and uh, they use that constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I will say her character, uh, there's a little bit of detail there at the beginning, but pretty much after the first like, chapter or two yeah uh, she becomes very functional for the plot mm-hmm. in a way that feels like a little bit like a missed opportunity um and maybe there's an intention to expand her more in future books maybe um, but for most of this book uh she is just kind of somebody that does fixes everything of impossible things <laughs> yeah like she just She's does a deus ex machina that just <laughs> every time they need the plan to work out tib is there to set off a million bombs and sneak in yeah. areas that and it takes her no time. I mean, it's a book, so we're skipping through time. But I mean, it's just like Tib goes off and solves the problems and comes back. And now we can finish the heist or whatever. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, and then we have uh, Caldred. Calred. Is that right? Calred. Calred. Yeah. Calred. Uh, who is who is a Hakan? Who mm-hmm. is a, a space cat? Uh, who also I think he's supposed to be like their security, like maybe like their wharf type yeah. character. Right. Um, on the ship. Um, we do learn little bits and pieces of him. I would say compared to Tib, we actually learn a fair bit about his background at various points. I would points. say even compared to Felix, we learn <laughs> yeah, quite a bit a about him. Yeah. <laughs> Felix is like the main character in in most respects, but like in terms of actually getting backstory and stuff, just by happenstance of like the things they end up needing to do, Calrod reveals quite a bit about his self and family and and past goings ons uh throughout throughout the whole book but that's the team on the ship and yeah they're just cleaning up stuff in outer space and basically they get assigned to a thing where they have to go save this scientist and the scientist ends up being this absolute racist jerkwad kind of unnecessarily racist too sort of just like very 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 I don't even know if racist. I mean, it, it is it is different races in Twilight Imperium, but it's like species. Do you know what I mean? It, it, he just and, and they try to hand wave it by being like, "Well, he hates everyone. He hates humans too." And it's like, I don't know. Well, he says that. Yeah, he I, I, I want to be fair. It's not. It's the narrator doesn't no. say, but but it's that Thales kind of embraces that. Uh, and that that's the character's name, yes. Thales. Uh, he kind of embraces that term that I'm sure, or it's not a term, but I'm that that I'm sure you've heard that in your life before, where somebody says like I'm I'm prejudiced to everyone equally. Yeah. Uh, one ironic thing about Thales' racism is that he is the only character that I can think of that is explicitly uh, raised on a planet that isn't like Their his home, home world. Right. So that's a little. That's interesting. Yeah, it's weird to have a kid. It feels like you don't get a a real understanding of why he would be racist. Besides the idea that he's an egomaniac is really the only. Yeah, he's just he just loves himself. Jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Huge. And and I mean, we're we're. This isn't our opinion. This is like literally what it says. You are told that he is a jerk, and then he does jerk. (laughs) And and it's made very apparent, especially later on. So he is. uh, He he hides it for a while, but it is essentially eventually revealed that he is trying to build a wormhole generator. He has learned enough from the University of Jolnar where he grew up, and he's kind of learned enough from the ghosts. He knows that the ghosts can make a wormhole generator, so he knows the theory is sound. So he wants to create a wormhole generator. He needs someone to fund 
it. Uh, and throughout the story, you learn um, that he's been through multiple different. He, he's you know the the Barony Letnev is where they find him, uh, or or no, they they find him kind of through some Federation of Soul stuff. He used to be with Barony Letnev. The, the Barony Letnev actually has his partner, uh, who they go and get eventually, kind of more of a minor character. Um, now he's with the Mentak Coalition, but it's like everybody wants what he is maybe able to offer, and he kind of wears that with uh, maybe excess amount of pride. He goes, hey, he, he kind of, he lets himself get away with being an absolute jerk by saying, well, but if you get rid of me, you lose access to my brilliant invention. Yeah, he serves several functions in the story. Um, at times, he is almost like a, a secondary antagonist or even maybe primary antagonist. Mm -hmm. uh, he is like a hot potato, almost MacGuffin as character. Yeah. Because most of the plot revolves around the idea that, that there is a, there's a political interest uh, for various factions to uh, try and get Thales to the point where he can make a wormhole generator. What's interesting to note, though, is that almost every party seems to think that he might be a fraud. Yeah. Um, so everyone is kind of going out on a limb here. Um, I do want to say one thing we we glazed over when it comes to the characters is that um, the motivation for our, our heroes, the the pirates, that they end up being called... Uh, Duval's, Duval's devils. devils. Yeah, that's a funny name. Um, but uh, their motivation in all of this is that they are kind of um, each, like they're kind of failures at the beginning of the story. Yeah. They uh, they have, uh, for various reasons, been like kind of demoted to, to a backwater post for the Mentak Coalition. So their whole thing is they've sort of found this guy that can supposedly do this thing and they get permission from the Coalition to sort of indulge this while yeah. everyone pretty much isn't really sure um, if, if, if he can actually do it. And also he's horrible. He's right. just a jerk. Right. So. Yeah. From the Mentak coalition's perspective, it is a minimal investment with a possible huge payout. So for them, it's like, yeah, okay, we can, we can sacrifice these three people that we weren't even doing anything very important with. And if, if their thing works, we can create wormholes and uh, win the war or whatever. Um, yeah. So most of the story then becomes about Thales needs something for his invention. Let's go get it. Uh, the first right. thing is he needs his partner, his his former Jolnar partner uh, who is being held captive by the barony. So, oh, we got to do a heist. We got to bust this Jolnar out of jail. Um, they have a whole kind of intricate plan to get into the barony jail. Uh, and, and when they get there, they realize that this Jolnar doesn't even necessarily want to leave. They just want to do their work. Uh, and she especially doesn't really want to go work with Thales again because he's such a terrible person. Um, but they force her hand or tentacles, I guess, as it were, she's a Jolnar. <laughs> um, and they, they basically force her to come with her and, and more or less kidnap her. Um, but it's not quite that, uh, overt. It is sort of though. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of, so there's a couple times in the story where your good guides do things that are a little bit morally questionable, mm. but I feel like the story doesn't question it very much. So like Felix goes in to supposedly rescue this character uh, who I think is called Shira. Is that her name? I'll look it up. Keep going. I wish I knew the character's names better. I'm sorry. Um, I literally just read this book and for some reason I can't remember the character's <laughs> name, but they go to rescue uh, this scientist. Um, she doesn't need to be rescued. She doesn't want to be rescued. And then Felix kind of just straps a bomb to her <laughs> and is like, you have to come with us now. Yeah. So I'll say that there are there are parts in this book where I feel like I'm ha I have trouble um, liking these characters that I tell that I feel like the book is telling me that I must like because not because I have some sort of problem with like 
the idea of an anti-hero or that I need my heroes to be like pure and simple so much as I feel like a, a lot of the heroes and we'll get to another one in just a second um, they do morally gray or morally questionable or just outright bad things at times and the book doesn't seem to note it. I, I yes. wish the book would tip its hand a little more and say, like, see, we've got right. these, these characters are kind of dirtbaggish, but right. I feel like it doesn't interrogate them very much. Yeah. And it feels like they spend more time, especially with our three protagonists, of them being really quippy. Um, and that is sort of the substitute for them being the characters we like right it's just like yes. oh they're really witty and they succeed a lot so they must be the main characters rather than them that often truly doing something virtuous um or if they were going to be kind of anti-hero like you say hunter they they just don't <laughs> the book doesn't seem to live in that enough to to, yeah. to actually call them an anti-hero it doesn't seem to be pushing that enough uh that jolnar's character uh his name is shelma so shelma, shelma. gets rescued <laughs> um they bust out of this barony uh prison but it's not actually a prison it's actually more of a research center being um feigned as a as like a i don't know it's it's a lot of things but they're basically they know they're trying to also get the uh wormhole generator um and they need to make it not look like that but this is also where we are introduced to our barony of letnev character who was a uh assistant director at this place and basically it's her fault that uh this this heist happens it's under her watch so she's the one who has to go fix this problem her name is severin or severine um and there's a character too that was so somewhat introduced before but honestly i felt like the other character that ends up joining up with severin whose name is amina azad azad uh I don't feel like her introduction, like I can't even recall how she was introduced at this point. Oh, I can. I can, I can because it was kind of, oh, you mean introduced. I, all I remember is her first chapter where you see sure. uh, the world from her point of view. Yeah. Um, she's introduced in the story. Uh, there, there, there's just some, there's some, there's a moment at the beginning where they're trying to recover Thales yeah. from the ship where he's been stolen. And then they come back and, uh, they come back from the mission That's thinking right. they failed and she is on their ship now. There's so a she, there's a there's a theme of this is something Al, my friend Alex would say on uh Read It and Weep. There is a theme in the book of switching ships suddenly. There <laughs> right. there's yeah, there's a there is a moment early on in the movie where someone is supposed to be on one ship and they end up on the other and then there is another moment with where actually the same one of the same characters <laughs> is supposed to be on a certain ship and actually ends up right. uh, being on another so there's a theme of of swippity swappity so um, the deal with azad is she works for someone and it's really kind of nebulous for a while like it is basically assumed it's the federation of soul but it's really unclear if it's like the government of the federation of soul or some person with it like some high bit highest bidder corporation thing like it's it's really unclear for a long time exactly who she's working for but um our other characters are actually already familiar with her kind of and they just i mean they know basically that she's this there she's also out to get thales and in the end she's also out to get shelma these are the two scientists in the galaxy that know how to do this wormhole generator and felix and the crew now have both of them uh, and Azad shows up kind of at the right time to meet up with Severine and their interests align. And even though they have lots of other oppositions, one being Federation of Soul, one being Barony of Letnev, they end up temporarily working together to then maybe figure things out on the on the back end. Basically, Azad agrees to help so that she can get Thales and so that Severine can get uh, Shelma back to their respective coalition to their to their respective factions so now the chase is on right we're being chased right. by these two characters and uh 
the the next step in the process is to do a wormhole generator we need a a massive power supply um but before we can go do that fails kills shelma uh kind of in a way that makes it suggestive if he actually intended to do it but the crew picks up on it pretty quick and is pretty obviously thinking that they did it uh and it's very quickly revealed that fails just wanted to be the only person shelma can basically do it on her own and so he needs to kill shelma so that fails is still the only person in the galaxy that can do this it, it ups his value as an asset uh he's obsessed with being the person who did this who created this wormhole generator and yeah. he wants to be idolized he can't do that if shelma is the one who solves all the problems so right. he kills her yeah he's a megalomaniac um i will say it, it was the first beat in the story um, that truly surprised yeah. me. I was yeah. not expecting it. Um, and then and then that happened. Uh, I will say it's also another moment where I felt like the morality of the characters was like a little odd because yeah. uh, Thales kills Shelma. They know that he did, but then they just keep working with him. So there is a certain point in this story where I'm just speaking for myself. I had trouble rooting for these characters. That I, And this actually connects to another problem. Yeah. When um, Azad's first uh, point of view chapter is is uh, happens in the story, um, Azad uh, seduces a, a woman and then gets on her ship and then is maybe about to have sex with this woman and then kills her. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of it's a it, and I realize Azad is supposed to be um, the the one of the antagonists uh, for. Uh, this story especially at that point in the story mm -hmm. um however it does feel like as the story is going on we get more and more of her point of view and i do believe that we are meant to on a certain level uh relate to and uh root for uh azad however the fact that the very first time we meet her she kind of does one of the ickier things that anyone does in mm -hmm. this story which which if you're thinking if you're listening to us say this and think like, oh, it just sounds like Hunter and Matt are like, like dweebs and they don't like their characters to do dark yeah, things at all. I think the problem is like, there's this very light tone to the yes. story. Yeah. So when someone does something really kind of dark, it feels a little bit like, oh, okay, wait, what's, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Are they, is, <laughs> I thought is this... we were having fun. I thought we were having a little romp. <laughs> we'll talk about it more too. We'll talk about like the tone and sort of the adult side of this book. Um, but yeah, it's a good point to mention of like, sometimes it feels like you're just doing a little swashbuckler story and then a character says the F word and starts having sex and like brutally murders someone. You're like, wait, okay, hang on, slow down. I did not yeah. think we were doing that kind of a thing in this I, book. I, 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 and also though, I, I want to get this out here before it sounds like we're going to like slam this character too much. Um, th this is, uh, there is queer representation in this book yeah. and it was, uh, unexpected for me. And uh, in some ways, like, delightful. Yeah. But in other ways, Azad is very, like, kind of horny and sort of creepy with... Yeah. Uh, she kind of aggressively pursues uh, one of the other characters. So, yeah. Um, and so I feel like there's there's always points in representation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, especially in a place where you wouldn't expect it, like a Twilight Imperium tie-in novel. Sure. You know, it's like... <laughs> right. No one... No one... No one working on this book, I feel like, was like, well, there has to be queer well, representation. I would even point people to the uh, story that was written for the Codex, uh, the, mm -hmm. the Imperial Codex that Dane did, the story that's written in that, the Ordinian, 
uh, there's queer representation in that as well, and it doesn't hit anywhere close to the same things that this one, where it's like, they're not all just hornbags, there just happen to be two women that love each other, and, and the story doesn't overstate that or make it, like, wear out its welcome or anything. Yeah. So I think that's where Hunter and I sort of feel it's in a weird spot. It's like, yes, we, you did that, and that is good, but there's, there is a certain level of, but you also made the two queer characters very bad, and one of them is kind of almost intrinsically defined by not just like their their they're they're defined by their sexuality and i mean that in terms of their actual sexual fervor like their desire yeah. to have sex so right. that that feels a little i don't know if i can say misstep it's not my i, I i'm not yeah the we're one too, to we're say too, that yeah we're yeah, too straight we're white too guys dudes. so i yeah. I, I don't know man <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but we but can only I, it, evaluate this up to a certain certain yeah. point. But I, I really, at the end of the day, uh, representation. Yes. Uh, did I like the character of Azad? Not really. Yeah. So <laughs> right. Uh, so back to the story. Now we have to head to uh, Joel, uh, or is it Nar? They kind of go to both. They have to go to the the Garian system, which they never call it the Garian system. They they call it the Jolnar system, which as Absol. Uh, our lore expert pointed out it uh, doesn't make any sense really for how these places would actually get referred to, but it probably is just to help us, the reader, out because most readers yes. won't know what Garion means. Um, so anyways, we're going there to find a dark energy tap, which is a fun tie-in that actually feels like providing value to the universe. It's not just, it's the dark energy tap. It's like, no, no, no. Now, in future games, when I research a dark energy tap, I have like a physical object I read about that I, I will picture and know what it means. And that is a point in the story that I think it really contributes something. That That's some of the world building that really felt good and helpful for yes. having this book exist in the first place. that, that I, I found some real value in that. There's a few other instances of that. But um, so we go to, we, we need to go to this place. But before we can go there, we have to get a special uh, ship so we don't look as conspicuous, basically. So they go to Vega Minor. Uh, and some really cool stuff happens in Vega. If, if anything, my favorite part of the book is all the stuff that happens on Vega Minor. Uh, yeah, at this I, I outpost, um, there's a basically a traitor there who's this... Uh, it, maybe my favorite character, too, is is this traitor who basically has no morality. Um, it's it's sort of the, the type of person who has a code of honor, and that honor is their economics, right? They, they are just a traitor, and if you have the right price, they will do the thing, and they will not backstab you. Um, this is where our characters all collide for the first time. So basically, as uh, our heroes are buying their ship, uh, our <laughs> villains are waiting in line to also the buy their room. ship. And when they, yeah. cr they, they come out of their meeting, and oh my gosh, those are the people we've been chasing. They have a little altercation, but that's when... Uh, this trade leader steps in and is kind of like, hey, no fighting on my on my turf. Uh, mm -hmm. You bad guys started the fight. I'm locking you up for four hours. That gives you good guys a head start. Um, and so now, now our rush to get to Joel and get this thing literally has a clock on it because we know exactly how far behind the villains that are trying to catch us are. And they more or less know exactly where we're going. So we have to act very, very quickly. And the whole next portion of the book is even though it's just another heist, basically, similar to our barony prison heist. Um, I, I, I think maybe, Hunter, you have more problems with it than I do because I felt that ticking clock on it a little bit, and maybe yeah. that kept me a slightly more interested, but it is, it does suffer from the problem of like, oh, okay, and uh, so just like another, just that thing again, that same beat, but again. 
yeah, I was a little bit bummed that we had kind of two heist uh, beats in in the novel, but I I didn't feel like either of them gave me uh, much in terms of uh, heist vibes. I mm-hmm. like heists in uh, in in plots, but I feel like heists work best when there's a lot of rules yeah. um, established in the narrative as to like like uh, traditionally um, you can get a lot of drama i feel like out of the characters coming up with a a plan with a lot of like specific points that need to happen and then and then there's a lot of drama out of watching the plan uh maybe like fail in some ways and then the characters adjust um i feel like i didn't quite get that out of either of the um heist segments i will say though like matt is saying um i think the wind came out of my sails a little bit whenever i realized there was going to be another heist to beat um because it does feel like you liked it more matt than than i did mm-hmm. um and i do feel like on paper the second heist had more tension and made uh more sense than the first one and yeah. i think if uh, maybe if the author was here uh he would say something like yeah i mean it was the the first heist is like a warm-up heist beat right. for the ultimate uh heist in it and that's and that's fine and i totally understand that yeah. just for me i think i i wasn't invested enough for that second heist to feel like a lot of tension for yeah. me the I first think. heist is very much defined by like everything kind of works out for them there there are like little hiccups in the plan but it's one of those things where like the protagonists are such experts in their field that nothing actually inhibits them and they just they get out scot-free and everything works out right. the second one um things go wrong um and in fact things go very very wrong because Thales basically screws them over again and um as a spite play kills another Joel Nar person, the person they were going to meet right. with to then kind of use that meeting to steal the dark energy tap. Um, Thales plants this poison bomb basically that kills uh, kills that Jolnar on site um, and forces the team to very quickly get out of the scenario, whereas normally they would have been able to just kind of sleuthfully snuck out. Now it's like, oh, we have to just go balls to the wall. We got to get out of here. Right. Um, and I so, will I will say you're right that that adds more tension to to that part of the story uh it is though also an echo yeah, of that's the problem. uh the beat from earlier right. where uh thales killed the other hylar character in the story yeah, it so, felt like we know. used two of the same tricks we'd already done we just kind of combined yeah. them together rather than finding some kind of other vessel to get through all of this but regardless they they basically once again just get out it's not really a big deal they have an invisible isarl that can kind of accomplish anything they get the dark energy tap um, and, and they, they make a break for it, um, only to be, uh, found by what you assume is, uh, Azad and Severin. In fact, you're very much forced to assume that because they, you know, they call in, they say, Hey, we're here and we're going to get you. And then they shut the comm off. And then, um, the, maybe one of the stranger moments for me in the book happens, which is, and I hate these kinds of nitpicks, so I want to be really careful with this because I hate sci-fi nitpicks that are like, mm, the physics of that doesn't really make any sense because it's right, like, right. hey, we're dealing with things that are extra physical. Like they aren't a thing that they aren't things that actually exist. We, we, we are dealing in the world of pure theory of like how these energy weapons and everything work. Sure. Um, also, so, like it's not like the tone of the like to, to read this far into the book. Yes. And be like, oh, it needs to have you know realistic science applied to it that's not the type of book it is no so this this complaint isn't that kind of nitpick but it's pretty close to that kind of a nitpick because what they do to get away is they plug their dark energy tap 
into their weapons system and they basically kind of hand wave it being like yeah the more energy you tap the energy weapons into the more energy they can output and it's sort of like you as the reader kind of look at that and go but if you if you're tapping like a blaster pistol into a thing that literally harnesses infinite dark energy and can power something that's going to rip a chasm into time and space Mm-hmm. why is the blaster pistol just kind of like cool with that like how is that possible at all it feels like a stretch even within our sci-fi fiction well here let me put it into like terms like if you were breaking this down in like a i don't know like a writing class mm-hmm. i feel like what you're describing is the type of solution to the problem where that is out of desperation for our heroes meaning that narratively for it to be satisfying it feels like it should come at a cost yes it doesn't feel like you should get to do this type of trick for free right uh and and that's you're you're kind of applying the rules of that universe to justify it but to me in general if you have heroes that have to improvise something that sounds crazy yeah in order to win it should kind of also come at some sort of cost right um, it, it should have damaged their ability to then get away or whatever but all it really does yeah. is fry the guns but it works they blast a massive hole into the into the enemy ship the people that are pursuing them and they get away um but then we cut away to a flashback just slightly reversed in time where azad and severin have actually been chilling on vega minor this whole time because they know our heroes have to come back to vega minor to return the ship they rented they left their ship as collateral azad and severin are actually chilling have snuck on to the Temerarius, which is the hero's main ship, uh, and they are just waiting for them to return. They recorded, they pre-recorded right. a message of like, we are gonna get you and sent yeah. that off. So what we learn in this passage is the ship that they blew up doesn't even have the people that are chasing them. It just has a, a few of Severin's guards or whatever. And Again, it's an echo beat of the switcheroo yep. from earlier in the book. Right. Um, so now we are left with a situation where Calrid and Thales board the ship and are immediately captured by Azad and Severin and the hero, the other t- t- Tib and Felix have to do something about it. But they are on this traitor's station. They're in his, kind of his world. Uh, and luckily for us, Felix kept the dark energy tap himself and did not allow Thales to board the ship with it. So the way it's kind of addressed is. Uh, Azad and Severin hold three of the four components they need to accomplish everything, which is Thales, Thales notes, the invention itself, and the power source. The power source is the only thing they lack, and Felix holds that. Um, but they have Calrid, so uh, Felix agrees to a swap, basically. He gives them the power core, and Calrid comes back to them. That, that This is one of the few acts of goodness that I think our heroes truly do, where they kind of give mm-hmm. up the mission that they've been on in service of saving their friend and their, you know, yeah. someone they care about. This is, this is a moment that I think earns its keep in, in totally. the book. I totally agree. And, and also I want to say, just clarify, uh, I never doubt the relationship between these three mm-hmm. characters. Mm-hmm. They are established as friends. I believe that, they, well, they're not quite, they're not like besties. Like Cal, Calred is clearly kind of just, this is his job, um, but they get along well. And, and I believe uh, their chemistry it's more like they do weird stuff when it comes to uh to other people outside of their sort of family unit or work unit um but yeah you're 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 right that is that is uh unequivocal a hero thing that yeah. the characters do essentially so then we kind of are left in this moment of i don't know i guess desperation i mean we it, it literally is like well where the heck are we supposed to go from here <laughs> they literally have everything they've won there's not really anything we can do but 
they decide to try to pursue anyways. Um, they they are able. There, there's a lot of weird switcheroo stuff. Again, like Hunter, you were saying, the theme is like switching ships. Uh, people yeah. are on each other's ships, and all this weird stuff is going going on. But um, they are able to chase down uh, Azad and Severin and Thales, uh, who are basically headed to empty space where Thales can try out his big super weapon or his his big device uh, because he wants to do it away from planets because he doesn't know exactly what will happen and he doesn't want to do it too close to a planet where it might basically rupture the space around that planet and kill everyone. Basically, it's revealed that this thing could very easily be a planet destroyer if used in the wrong hands and Thales is kind of like, oh no, I don't want it to be that. I want it to be used for good and it doesn't right. doesn't really matter. Um, so then the other trick here is we haven't talked nearly enough about Azad and Severin, but there's this whole dynamic with them that's very weird and honestly it does feel a little forced i don't i do not like just ragging on this book there are lots of things i liked but mm-hmm. azad and severin's relationship and i've seen this echoed a lot in our community of people giving pre-errata it just doesn't quite work um a lot of it is azad being too horny and just trying to sway severin there are some clever things that are going on there where you can kind of feel that she's just trying to manipulate severin so that she does what she wants so it's a little bit of like oh that's kind of clever tactics socially but it also is just sometimes sold as like no she's just really horny and wants to hang out with this other barony woman um but the undercurrent is always that they will have to betray each other because they want the weapon for their own particular faction they have to do right by their faction so at some point they're gonna have to kill each other and they they know that they are open about it they talk to each other about how they're probably gonna have to kill each other they have this very goofy relationship that is at times growing to the point where they really truly are in a relationship, but also still like, I'm going to stick a knife in your back at some point. Yeah. So I, and I think actually, if you're just listening to us describe it, this actually sounds like an interesting relationship, right? Like, I mean, it's, it, it has like, I mean, maybe this sounds corny to you, but it's like the idea of two people that are supposed to kill each other that fall in love. Like that's interesting. I think the problem is that of the two characters, I'm a, uh, let me put this out there. I actually will go along with pretty much any story if I like the characters. Um, If I like them, if I can root for them. And the problem is I never really liked Azad. I liked um, Severin in in some ways. Or actually, I think I just said her name wrong. But um, is that right? Severin? Severin. Severin. I don't know the right way. Severin. It's one of those two. Well, so I liked her. Um, She she was an interesting character. And actually, it should be said that I think we learn a lot more about the two of them than we even learn about the supposed uh, good guys. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, they both get a lot of background, and I understand yeah. like what their personalities are like, um, what their motiv- motivations are. I'll go another step too and say Severin is maybe the only character with a full arc in this book. Yes. Severin yes. starts as a bureaucratic cog in the machine of the Barony of Letnev. And is pulled from that because she has to do this inconspicuous mission to cover up her failings. And in doing that, she has to be ragtag and and go off book. And she's being constantly basically manipulated by this person who is a spec ops agent and is, you know, shines in that sort of territory. And then is even taken to the point of um, when when Shelma was killed, that that threw out. Um, Severin's whole thing like she can no longer take Shelma back to her people which means she has truly failed she will be murdered is she will be executed (laughs) when she goes back for her failures so she is now having to consider 
fully abandoning the Barony of Letnev. So she goes from a purely bureaucratic cog to this, like, I think I have to be on the run now. And and right. you feel every moment of that arc. And she might be the only character where that stuff really works and, and has, like, a full, you know, <laughs> full arc that, that comes to a completed moment. Yeah, she low-key might be the best character in the book. Yeah. I mean, because, because she has an arc, um, because her personal uh, kind of stakes sort of change... Problem is that the the relationship is, I think, not really going to work for you if you don't like Azad. Yeah, you may maybe you like Severine. I I can totally believe that. And well, the sure other problem with are... Severine is her character is unlikable. Like in term, like you can like her as a character, but that yes. character is an unlikable stiff. Right. That that's the problem that makes it that can make it difficult. You can appreciate, and especially by the by the end, she she really has changed and becomes more likable but mm -hmm. in in the first half of the book she's just like a do it by order do everything you're supposed to do it, it like kind of a boring stiff basically yeah i think i i do think she worked for for me from the onset though um because her character had uh like like a logic to her yeah, that i, I understood that there wasn't like a like a muddled aspect to her whereas azad i was a little bit um confused the whole time because yeah. the opening Azad like kind of act is her Doing uh, terrible, seducing terrible someone thing. and then and then murdering them uh and, and and it's so weird she like murders this person right as they're maybe about to have sex yeah like so it, it's it's that that part was just a little bit of a weird foot to kind of start uh a, a character yeah uh in in this book and then, yeah, I, I think the horniness kind of wears on you. It starts feeling a little bit one note. Yeah. But again, uh, Azad is actually, uh, like, compared to some of the other characters, I think, still pretty well established. Yeah. It's just how much are you, like, I don't know. I, I, I think in some ways, the way their relationship, especially at the beginning, started, started uh, springing up, was actually a little bit creepy to me. I don't know yeah. if I have a right to say that. Like, if, I understand if someone gets mad, but, but she's she's very aggressive. And yeah. it, it it is so kind of like going back on that same note over and over to the point where you're just kind of like, okay, I get it. Can they do something else? Like, yeah. maybe they should just hang out. Like, right. they should take this a little slower, <laughs> I think. So she seems, we, yeah. We say all of that to build up to this moment where the two of them have everything that they need but are now in a moment where only one of them is actually allowed to succeed because yes. the severin because she is able to have fails and the device she could go back to the barony Letnev and actually not be executed she could come back with the prize and the same basically goes for azad and so the two have to follow up on their word and they start to have a knife fight in the dark they they <laughs> they are down in the depths of the temerarius and trying to kill each other which leaves them not paying attention to all the distress signals that are happening as Felix and the gang board the ship. Uh, yeah. And um, a moment with a lot of buildup that was like, oh my gosh, all of the factions are colliding at once. It feel To me, it felt like the last round of a game of Twilight Imperium. Not in the scope, obviously. It wasn't dealing with political yeah, things yeah. all falling right, apart. Right. But that thing where... I want this planet for X. You need to get to the other side. If I go to Thiba right now, I block your path to for you to get to Wellen. And the, like those things where we don't all necessarily have the exact same goal, but our goals 
cross so many barriers that we are getting into conflicts with each other that screw you know it's just that whole win makey scenario basically that sure. build up was very very real for me and then the payoff felt like it, uh, it uh, abused me like it, it didn't work out because all that happens is they board the ship and guess what tib rules yet again and is basically able to <laughs> completely snuff both of azad and uh, Severin out and they capture them and they win that's it oh boy we did it we saved the day we, we stopped them now we have Thales it just feels too quick to have solved that problem it, if, if there's any moment where you feel like Tim Pratt had a page count he was trying to hit it right, was in yeah. that moment where you're like oh that probably could have gone on longer but maybe you had to hold it back or maybe it just didn't feel like there was that much more to really do to get to the point of they they capture the other two but the, the this big final conflict of everyone falling into the same ship at the same time was just dealt with so quickly i mean it took like two pages for them to to, to capture both of the bad guys right and again uh they're i don't know i i i am very much into especially when you're talking about uh adventure stories um you know, you have to build up a moment of, of tension where I believe that this story might might exact a cost from yeah. the character. What do I mean by when I say that, exact a cost? Because I don't mean, like, anything artificial. Like, before, when we talked about Dark Energy Tap, uh, I'm sure someone could make the argument, like, well, it do. there was a cost. It fried the weapons. Yeah. I mean, like, a, a material cost yeah. that, that changes the, the story. Uh, you know, something like... I don't know. I'm trying to think of an I example. I want these players I mean, to get, I, mean, I, I want them to get hurt. Story. You know, like literally, yeah. it just could have been. There, there's a moment where he's around the corner from Azad and he's hiding from her. That could have been a moment where like things happen and he gets he gets badly injured and it does require Tib to like stop everything. I, I don't know. I don't want to write this book for him. It's not my job. I'm a worse writer than Tim Pratt for sure. Right. Like a hundred percent hands down. I can't write, write this, this book. book. Yeah. I would never be able to do that. Yes. So I, he made the choices he made, and I agree with them. To, up to the point where you know it just i i would say it just happened so quickly for me that it, it didn't work as well so then we have everything we need we have fails let's let's kick the device on and this is where we finally see that this book is basically a prequel to prophecy of kings because he turns it on it starts to open up a thing and oh it doesn't seem like it's opening a, a wormhole it seems like it's opening a rift into a completely other dimension and we see this completely terrifying sounding behemoth on the other side that uh, I think we now living in a post POK world know it's the Vool Wraith but I mm -hmm. don't know what this would have read like to someone who hadn't looked into what all POK has yet it just would have been this interdimensional horror right but we right. see that they manage to stop it they they knock it out of Thales hands they they are able to close the rift it doesn't happen uh, and then the kind of craziest um this is pre-epilogue, but the craziest denouement ever happens, which is just like, all right, well, let's all negotiate what we do from here, and then we'll do it. And that's going to be just kind of right. how the book ends, is like, you're going to yeah. go that way? Cool. You go that way. I'll go this way. See y'all later. It yeah, ends the characters very quickly. Just, they just kind of come to an agreement, uh, including, I mean, most importantly, Thales, who I guess by the end of the book is essentially the antagonist. Yeah. Um, he goes to jail Everyone else kind of just parts their separate, goes their separate ways. This is the um, part I have the most problem, and this goes back to the thing of Felix. It doesn't feel like he does the right thing very often, but it also doesn't feel like the book is actually addressing that he's doing the wrong thing. But he lets Azad go, even though like he knows Azad is like a murderer and a bad person. But 
I guess Azad gets the hand wave at being like, well, but I only more murder when my mission is to murder. I don't murder other than that. I'm not going to murder somebody if I don't have a mission. It's like, okay, but you're still a right, but, murderer. But, but Azad opens, it op I know, opens exactly. up Azad's character with her murdering just some random person. Yeah. Like, did, did the soul say, hey, you need to steal a ship? And uh, I'm not... I'm not talking about just a little steal. I'm talking about kill someone in cold blood right before you're about to have sex <laughs> with them. I do not believe yeah. that the character's orders from above were to do that. So yeah. that's the problem with that right. aspect of, of and, that And so they have these two prisoners and they just straight up let them go because they all decide it's an amicable little thing. Um, and it definitely feels like a sort of thing where I would assume these five characters are all going to be in the next book. Yes, we want to keep um, them all, I feel like was yeah. the, the point. Yeah. So and and so if that's the case, then okay, we'll we'll see where their adventures go from there. Maybe there will be more growth. But then there is an epilogue, and the epilogue is very very important because the epilogue is where uh, Thales is rotting away in Mintak jail for I don't even know how long. They don't address it, but they address that it's been he's there he's been there for a long yeah. time. Um, yeah. And we didn't talk about the ghosts backstory stuff in this book but and i won't do a whole lot here but there is stuff throughout the book where people are giving ghost stories at one point it's literally called that and it's very funny um <laughs> but people have these myths about what the heck the ghosts of creus are and what they're doing and and you know we're doing this wormhole I generator like and basically as a, the the as idea a lore thing i think yeah. that's fun yeah it is very fun i think that's some of the yeah. stuff that really works for me we're gonna have some priorata from absol that kind of goes against this but the way the creus work in the book is very ominous and creepy and basically the idea that you get is in the initial process of Thales and Shelma trying to develop this wormhole generator, the ghosts show up and tell them to stop it and have kind of very easy research. They can just like disintegrate their whole lab. They just like make them stop. And that's what makes Shelma want to completely stop because she's like, hey, the ghosts are watching us and they do they are not messing around. And Thales is like, I don't even care. I'll just do it in secret. So now Thales is in prison and a ghost shows up to him they just kind of get to appear out of nowhere well that's and, fair because they have wormholes sure they, they they, should be able to I, no I, I don't think it's unjustified but they he, he shows up in his jail cell and uh shows him basically these visions of that rift he opened reopening and and it kind of has to be sort of exposition explained that like no this is actually happening right now that rift uh, is opening up and it's letting the Vulwraith through and it's going to let the Mahawk through and it's going to let all sorts of other horrors through and it's your fault. You did this. It's it's completely your fault by opening it. You let the Vulwraith know that we were on the other side and now the Vulwraith are seeking out similar rifts like that and they're going to break through. And that is basically your precursor into the story that happens in the Prophecy of Kings narrative where the rift truly opened and now we have these seven new factions or whatever. So right. the whole book ends up being truly... A, a prequel to this and the next book is called the necropolis empire and uh the Vulwraith cabal are very much talked about at least in this book as i have like i not the army of the dead but what i have to assume that the necropolis empire is going to be about the cabal but that might not be true yeah. it might be like a necro thing that i mean that also makes sense but it's not spelled oh, sure. n-a-k it's not spelled n-e-k-r-o it's spelled n-e-c-r-o so i don't know what the next book is going to be. maybe there's a log line out there somewhere but it very much seems like we are meant to continue this action in the next book. That may end up not being true. The next book could be a completely new cast of characters. And honestly, I would welcome that. But who knows? Yeah. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, this is just this is just funny. This is just nitpicking for fun. Mm. Uh, that there's the the bit the exposition dump in the epilogue where the ghost tells Thales all this stuff that you need to know um, for a prophecy of kings, and then they kill Thales. Yeah. So it's like the most like kind of comic booky like 
I like that kind of stuff. Like that doesn't bother me at all. But yeah. I always think it's funny when something like that happens. We're like, why did you tell him all that if yeah. you were just gonna kill him anyways? But but yeah, yeah weird no, it's spike fun. play by like Osakrius. Yeah, weird spike. Like they wanted they wanted him to know yeah. that he was a failure before right. they they well, kill him. Well, and honestly, get, that is the most satisfying moment in the whole book. Is fails the whole time all he does is talk about what a great success he's going to be he's going to be the most famous person in history and it ends on a note of you failed this is all your fault and now you we're going to evaporate you into dust yeah so i think we need to i think it's time to talk about the tone though because i think that is that is kind of in all of our problems i think um a lot of it has to do with things that happen in the story that feel to not match the the tone. Yep. Um, and and kind of that sort of dark note at the very end, uh, the tone of the story feels like that's kind of like something that would happen in a, in a slightly different story. Um, because the way the characters all talk to each other and sort of the, the lighthearted way that the adventure kind of unfolds um, just feel kind of at odds with the kind of dips into darkness that the mm-hmm. that the narrative occasionally takes. The way characters all, pretty much all speak, not everybody, there's a couple exceptions to this rule, but most of the characters in this world um, have a very kind of quippy, uh, sarcastic yep. style um, of dialogue. It very much reminds me of something like Firefly right. or maybe even like Guardians of the Galaxy is something that I was thinking about. Sometimes the the pirates almost feel like it's trying to be like a, like a guardians thing um a little bit matt you you mentioned uh the expanse as something that yeah, you feel like is referenced it, a lot it in the story clearly wants to follow a similar structure to the expanse i'm only like halfway through book two but book one leviathan wakes and this book have a very similar uh layout i would say they, they very mm-hmm. much follow structure. the same structure of like hey we're following just a small ragtag team and they are coming up against things that clearly have larger galactic scale pro- uh, uh, results from those actions or whatever. But um, this book doesn't deal with those things nearly as much. It's obviously much shorter <laughs> than Leviathan Wakes. Uh, so obviously it's not going to like get into as much. But um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of feeling of the expanse there. There's the idea of like this true interdimensional problem is is what the result of all of these actions leads to. Um, mm-hmm. But that tone makes it feel like the quippiness doesn't match with the serious what i think the issue that you and i both have hunter is when it chooses to be serious it isn't in a moment that is for any payoff it's like in a it's it's in an intermediate scene and then the scenes where like all of the action is happening everything just goes right and the dark things don't happen then we multiple times you talked about like i wish that the crazy maneuver they did had a cost and that cost could be that darkness in your story right Right. that could be the like mood that brings everything down and then further uh justifies the other dark things that you can still keep in the story but the fact that every time we have a true challenge we just sort of do it and do it with a smile and flair and then like 10 minutes later it's like oh and then they murder a jolnar in cold blood I'm going to I'm going to just make a blind play here as if as if people listen to what we say, which I mean, they don't. But uh, uh, if if the thing going on here was that Tim Pratt wanted to write a story that had like some dark beats and the editor kept saying like or somebody else kept saying like, lighten it up, buddy. It needs to be lighter. Uh, I feel like it's kind of it's 
I, I think either then get get rid of the darker beats or like let's have let's have that story that has um some darker uh tones throughout and i'm not saying it needs to be grim i'm no. not saying it needs to be like like i'm just saying if your story is going to include uh you know some cold-blooded murder um and then just more unexpected murder stuff uh that if if the characters are all quippy and they don't, they don't tend to take a moment to like really mm -hmm. um, seriously talk about like kind of slightly horrific things that have happened. Um, then I feel like it, it makes it harder for me to take it seriously um, as a reader. And another thing um, I think that uh, this might be fixed naturally. Cause I can totally imagine that as the books go on, they're going to be um, a little more uh, I guess, political or diplomatic as far as like what, Mm -hmm. uh, what the story is concerning itself about. Um, to me, I kind of wanted this to head in more of a, like some people have said, Oh, could this be like game of Thrones? I think that's like, that's like a really annoying thing. Cause game of Thrones is like, um, like the guy who writes game of Thrones can't even write game of Thrones <laughs> essentially. So if you ask someone to make it game of Thrones, it's like, well, that's really dishonest. Cause that guy can't even finish his Nobody books. can write Game of Thrones. Yeah, nobody's writing George Game R. of Thrones. Martin. Right now, nobody... Um, one person's <laughs> working on it, and it's taking them a very long time to do it. Um, so, I, But I think that uh, if, if anyone important is listening, I think the audience for Twilight Imperium uh, wants the, the, the fiction of it to kind of have the political intrigue yeah. of something similar to Game of Thrones. Here's the example I'm going to throw out to make it all sound way more doable. Because I think telling someone to make something Game of Thrones is like, that's Stupid. that's more, that's the, that's a lot to ask for, in my opinion. But if this could feel like a sort of diplomacy-focused episode of Star Trek, I'd, I'd, I'd read it. I'd love it. I'd just be like, well, I mean, obviously I read this one. But I mean, I would just be ecstatic yeah. about something that, that could even kind of match that quality. I'm not talking about legendary episodes of like Star Trek TNG, but something like um, if you if you've ever watched uh, The Next Generation, uh, there are a series of episodes that deal with a demilitarized zone between two um, yeah, the two like kind of galactic empires, and it's like a very simple, easy to understand political situation that has to be navigated. Um, something with some of that, yeah would uh as as a central point in the story uh would be enough to completely satisfy me even if the tone stayed the same i'd be like all right cool right. as long as it if it feels like something like that i'm down yeah the other thing with the tone that sort of messed with me a bunch and and i don't know maybe this is too much from my own perspective doing this but you know we've decided to make this show um pg uh because we had early on we we started we had we threw some curse some swears in there and people said hey can you not do that and we went yeah we totally can now we still swear probably significantly too much on our on our twitch streams but hey sure. I, i'm i'm doing my best bud uh but regardless this book had a lot of really really adult tones and like i get that twilight imperium isn't a board game for like little kids so i don't right. i shouldn't expect it to be applicable it's not the star wars fan base right little little kids are never going to read this book but there was so much uh sex talk now the, the sex scene happens off screen it's not like it's uh super super detailed or anything not but explicit there's yeah. a very sexual character there's a, there's a handful of swear words I, I don't personally have problems with swear words but it felt like a weird dynamic for a game that obviously in the, the stuff that we have packaged, I don't think there's any swear words or talk of sex in any of the 
lore that we have present in the Twilight Imperium box. So it felt a little weird for it to start showing up in this book. Sometimes that that's fine and it feels real. You know, I I would I would I can't buy into a ragtag team of pirates that are like, oh golly shucks, that was tough. Like I get that there's some level yes. of uh, yeah. We have to come to a, a, an agreement. Well, they also there. can't be like, yeah, we're space <laughs> pirates. <laughs> it's it. It, it just definitely felt like at times it was dealing with some themes where I'm like, really, is that what this what this T.I. licensed book is going to is going to go for? Um, so, again, I, I think that's more me than anything that the writer did wrong. Um, but I, that, I was bringing that kind of baggage into this and, and it tripped me up. So I don't know that yeah. that's all to say well, you may suffer the same situation. Right. I mean, you know, we we know Matt. He's. You know he's a dweeb and he needs all the language to be clean and he he's, he's yeah go cl- watch he's clutch go pearls. watch the space cats peace turtles 2020 finals <laughs> the ending of that yeah. and tell me that i'm afraid right. of curse yes. words yeah Whoops. yeah yeah um yeah let's talk about let's let's get back on i think we've talked a lot from a like literary plot perspective i think hunter and i are both decently competent talking about like plot structure and characters and things like that um, but we have left a lot of TI talk on the table. Um, so I want to return, and I, I think we, we dealt with some of it in it, but I, I want to kind of drive home the fact that this book, to me, felt like we got a couple snippets of cool lore, especially that Vega Major, Vega Minor stuff, the things that happened in that system, and the explanations you get about kind of how those two planets interact with each other, and the just all the things that happen on that trade station. All of that now, when I go and play Twilight Imperium, I will feel that. I'm bringing that with me to mm-hmm. games of TI. But yeah. a lot of the stuff in this book was just Easter eggs, where if you don't know what they're talking about, you can't know what they're talking about on page. Their conversation won't make any sense. Right. There's a part where they reference the the leader of the soul, um, Juan Salvador Tao, and if you don't know who Juan Salvador Tao is, you have no idea why they just said that name. And that that is a normal thing in sci-fi. Um, what's the like techno babble? There's all sorts of things where they kind sure, of sure. there are there are cliches in sci-fi where it's like, oh, we didn't really explain it. It's just part of the world building. You just have to go with it. You have to just yeah. go with it. I'm bad at that, and that stuff bothers me in any sci. I don't like it when Star Wars just like mentions a character that is in another movie or whatever. So I'm, I, nobody's off the hook here, but it is the thing that this book did quite a lot that also bothered me. Um, and I, I think part of that is because I really wanted it to actually delve into the lore more and explain things and treat the book like like a world builder. But instead of being a world builder, it was as if you were supposed to already know and remember all of the things from this universe. And and when we reference them, you'll kind of like clap a little and be giddy that you, your favorite planet Thibba got brought up or whatever. And and that stuff just didn't work for me because I haven't sat there and read through every single thing like recently and I don't have a good memory. So it's not like I have every single component of the lore memorized. So someone like Absol who who digs into this stuff, I can see what she got out of it. But even she kind of notes, well, some things are off and, and misplaced. But but all in all. You shouldn't have to be Absol <laughs> to enjoy this book, right? You should the, the world should speak for itself. And I think there were lots of times that it didn't quite do that for me. Yeah. I, I mean I think I think that is I think that's fair. I think it is a matter of of scope. Uh the more things you explain, the more time yeah. we have to spend explaining stuff. Um 
However, though, I do think that maybe maybe paring down the amount of locations um, in the story and like like shaving down some of the the beats in order to provide more um, context and details to the ones because I I mean honestly again one of one of my kind of core problems is that some of the characters didn't really work for me so I think I could have used a little more time um, focused on uh, characterization. Um, and especially, I mean, I, I, I love characterization that is, that is tied up in, uh, the actual way the plot moves forward, which actually, which actually this book actually does, um, with, uh, with Calrid, uh, pretty well, right. uh, with the whole, uh, Vega, Vega major, the, the Vega major chapter, uh, of this book, which I think is kind of our favorite. Yeah. Uh, cause it just kind of adds a little detail to a random element of Twilight Imperium. Uh, it gives you, a. a a thing to picture in your head whenever right. you play with that component. But even, even that chapter has the sort of contrived uh, meeting of the good guys and the bad guys, yeah. uh, which I'll forgive stuff like that. I don't, re I don't really care about yeah. that so much, but um, let's, let's, I want to kind of end this on a Matt. If, if, you know, dollars to donuts, do you recommend this book? Do you recommend that people purchase this book and read it? We, we said it, in the first half of the show and I still kind of stand by it where it, it is a little bit this is a cop out basically but like you know if you want to read this book um I, I think it was worth reading for me as a person who is invested in the Twilight Imperium universe I'm not upset that I read this book I don't think I it's not like I lost eight hours or whatever it's not a very long book it didn't cost me much to read it um and there were enough elements that I did enjoy that I am very hopeful that they make more. Um, it's the kind of thing where I totally recognize that like this is the first one, and it sort of had to justify itself. So if there's yeah. some things that feel stretched too thin, it's probably because he was trying to hit like a bunch of specific notes um, just to justify the existence of this first version of this thing. And future ones might get to do things very differently um, if they've justified their own costs. I mean, we live in a world where it's not like he just gets to write whatever he wants. Someone has to sign off on Tim Pratt writing more TI books. Right. So um, I think everything that is in this book makes sense. And if you care enough about TI to want to learn some new things, that is good. And you definitely want to read it. But you might want to brush up on your own. Lore. Go go reread a bunch of the lore in your copy because you will get more out of it that way i wish i had like sat down and reread at least all the pertinent factions to this book right like i, I wish i'd reread the soul sheet the barony sheet the mentak sheet the jolnar sheet those are the four main ones there's a, probably a couple oh and the maybe the hakan sheet i would like to have reread those and like been more aware of maybe some of the offhand mentioned planets or whatever because i think i lost a lot of the things that were being referenced um in the book and if, if those have been fresh on my memory I think the whole world would have felt more lived in than it actually presented to me, someone not as familiar with the lore. Yeah. Um, so I would say, was that like a that conditional was a, I, yes? I, I, it was a non-committal, yeah. I, I do think you should read it, um, but I I don't blame anyone who doesn't want to and, and goes, you know what, I don't... Here's the thing, and I said this earlier, but if if I hadn't needed to read this for the podcast, I wouldn't have read it because I don't read books very often. So when I do decide to read a book, it's like, 
this needs to be meat. <laughs> That's why I like right. to read. I, you know, the only books I've read in the last few years are like Game of Thrones and a couple other things. And it's because when you read Game of Thrones, you get quite a lot in that package. I'm reading the exp- I'm list- slowly listening to the Expanse right now, and it's sort of the same idea of like there's a lot packed into those. I'm not going to say there's a lot packed into this book. So if you're the kind of person who reads a couple books a month, this absolutely fits into your schedule. But if this is going to be the only book you read all year, yeah, you, you might feel like you kind of wish you had read a different book this year. I don't know. D- depends on how much you care about Twilight Imperium. Yeah. Um, well, I am going to recommend you support it. Mm-hmm. And whatever. Yeah. Well, I just want there to be more right. of it. Um, if uh, if there is one that comes out down the line, uh, if these books continue, and there is one that kind of satisfies uh, an, an itch, uh, I will I will read it, and I will be excited about it, um, and I want these to continue existing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would really recommend you read this, but maybe I would recommend that you buy it, please. Right. Just, I want <laughs> is that a, world, a weird yeah. thing to say? I want to live in a world where this is my least favorite of many Twilight Imperium books. Does that make sense? Yeah, I want their, cool. I want things to get even better, and I think they only can get better um, because he's going to learn from writing that book, and he's going to have experienced more people from our our little corner of the internet. Um, you know, the TI fans are going to be vocal about this book, I think. They have been so far, at least. And so hopefully he, he sees even more of the direction um, that the fan base wants books to be in. So seeing more of that politicking would absolutely jazz me up to read the next book. If I knew the next book had like if if I saw the 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 printing on the back that described like one of the characters and it was like the you know the ambassador for whatever I'm like I'm in. If it's got a story with an ambassador that's going to do, go do some po- political negotiations, I will absolutely jump on board because I just that's what I want to see from yeah. from books in this universe. Yeah, I'm telling you Tim, baby, sweetheart, <laughs> honey. Uh just get just just inject it with a little bit of that kind of Star Trek uh, goodness. Go watch uh, what's that one Darmok the uh, the Star Trek episode where they where Patrick Stewart has to like figure out how this this like civilization alien talks. species like they talk really weird. They have like a like a metaphorical way of speaking. Go watch that. Yeah. Like give me something like that. That, that, that is that's, that's, that is one final note of this book felt like we hit up all of the easiest factions to talk about and it's like man i want i want to see more interaction with nalu and sardak and like factions that are truly weird and not normal in sci-fi because that's where twilight imperium shines for me so to me that's like this book didn't touch on any of that and that's not a flaw of this book that's what i want to see in future books it's like oh man give me give me a book set in the Muat homeworld, you know, I, w- I want to see how the Muat civilization works or whatever. Like, I, yeah. I want to get on a yeah. more micro level within the heart of a of a city of one of these factions or whatever. Yeah, I got another one. Tim, baby, sweetheart, honey, sister, brother. Um, d- how about just like put in like a little a little Space Cats, Peace Turtles in joke <laughs> into the next one. Like I hear, here's what I'm thinking. I don't know if you know about what these terms mean, but. Luck of the luck of the Letnev. Yeah. If somebody says luck of the Letnev in the next book, I'll buy all the books. I'll buy several <laughs> copies of all the books. If you give, I've, if if it is revealed that Severin's brother is like Patrick O'Smiley, then I'm in. I'm 100 percent in. <laughs> if, if if somebody says boot the dude, if a dude is booted, if a boot, if a dude gets booted in one of these books, 
I'm, I'm, you got me. You got baby, me. Baby, you got me. Tim, baby. Uh, Sweetheart. So we wanted to take some time to include some pre-errata for this. There were lots of people who have already read the books and, and contributed awesome things to say. And it just felt like, you know what? Let's get the community in on this discussion. So uh, I'm going to start with some stuff from Absol. As noted earlier, Absol is like the lore goddess. She knows everything. She, her and Airdane just like have, have logged everything and know everything. So um, I'm only going to include a couple things, but you should go look up Absol's post in the pre-errata where she talks basically she gives all the pros and all the cons of what this book did right for the lore um and there's all kinds of stuff in there but one specific one to know is uh, and i also i remember feeling this in the moment too and i was really sad that this character didn't keep coming back but there there is at one point an extra character and they describe like these weird noises extra noises like laughter sounding like coughing is very on point on the one canonical extra we've seen before in, char in the Shards of the Throne story and makes sense for a reptilian species to have quirks that don't translate perfect for mammals like us. There's this extra character that just has all these weird ways of talking and when he laughs, it's all <laughs> noise. And it's just like that I was getting very excited for because the extra is a very foreign, different kind of faction and species. And I wanted to see this book explore that kind of stuff. And this one extra character is really the only time we ever get that. Um, and, and it's what made me more hopeful for future books where we can get a closer look at some of these crazier uh, species that we have in the Twilight Emma universe. So cool to see that that was felt in line. Now we talked earlier about the Creus and how kind of foreboding and weird they were in this. Absol also notes the Creus are shown as much stranger in demeanor than they appear in other media, including the prophecy of King's story that takes place not long afterwards. The mysterious aura and swirl of rumors surrounding them from people who haven't encountered them is fine, but their actual demeanor when they appear on screen is incongruous. So basically in the epilogue when a ghost actually shows up and we are watching the scene play out, she describes it as like that Creus doesn't feel like other Creuses we have seen talk and, mm -hmm. and behave. So it feels out of step with what yeah. we're used to seeing. Yeah. I'll also say, Tim, baby, honey, sweetheart, um, if you need a consultant, Absol yeah. <laughs> would be the person to hit up. Well, so it's if you, funny if because, I mean, for... he's, he's got... He has the lore writers as consultants. Like, he's he's got those folks. No, Absol's better. Absol's better, Absol's though. Better. I agree. <laughs> uh, we've got this errata, or pre-errata from J-Mac. I also agree with the others that mentioned how uh, there was too much witty banter. Literally, everyone had a witty line. So that's kind of following that that track we, we brought up. Oki Professor says, For me, TI is all about imagining what it's like to be involved in tense political altercations navigating between military aggression, trade, and science. I was hoping for something a bit more filled with political intrigue like Game of Thrones. Maybe oh. <laughs> other people imagine themselves in the role of this protagonist as they play T.I. And if so, I imagine they'll like the book a lot better. But for me, it's like someone took all the king's men and made it into an Errol Flynn movie, which that, that last <laughs> beat, that, that's exactly right. It, it felt like we really dissected this thing down into a completely different um, genre basically like it's sci-fi but ti right. is a space opera and this was a swashbuckler story right um i want to explain what oki professor just said because um because people don't uh, know who errol flynn is because errol flynn was just mentioned on this podcast <laughs> and i feel like maybe there were a lot of people that were like wait what uh errol flynn is just like a swashbuckling character from a, there's a bunch of errol flynn movies uh yeah. where he like does sword fights and stuff it's just like really it's, just old. it's pulpy adventure like pirate adventure movies or like yeah just sword fighting adventure movies from what the 
sixties? I don't even know. Oh no, it's 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 older than that. Yeah. Well, er- Errol Flynn is tech- Errol Flynn is an actor. He played different yes. uh, characters. Right. Um, but all of his movies were just like him doing like sword fighting stuff. These movies are like from like the thirties and forties. Like oh, is that, I didn't even realize it was that old. I don't know why. Okay. Yeah. Next up we have Q Raptor. I felt like it functioned as a nice incidental origin story for the Vool Wraith Cabal. It felt like a pretty sure bet that that was what Thales wormhole generator opened a window to. And then the epilogue at the end when the Krius visit him in presence seemed to confirm it. Um, but it also felt like an old star Wars extended universe book when they name drop, Bothawi without context and you'd be like oh yeah tell me more about the both and home world to me it really opens up the setting and made me want to learn more about it which felt cool and as an added bonus now when I play TI it's fun to be like oh yeah I'm going to Vega Major there's a sweet scrapyard here or whatever so I, I, I definitely wanted to include this one because this is sort of the the flip side of what I was saying right for some people they love those little stabs into the lore of like I'm just offhand mentioning it it doesn't work for me but like if you're the kind of person that that stuff works for, I, you really will dig this book, I think, because it, it, it has quite a bit of that sort of stuff in it of like, oh, you remember this person or that so-and-so or this snippet of Hakan history or whatever? There's all kinds of little tidbits in there. It's just if you're if you're not refreshed up on the tidbits, um, you won't know that we're talking about. But for some people, that's that's what like good world building looks like. So your mileage may vary. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, I, I am excited yeah. for there to be more of these books. Yes. Um, and I will, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll probably, I will probably read every TI book that comes out right. eventually, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not with the speed, uh, that we did this one. Not that we even read this one very fast. It's been a couple months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was, uh, this was a fun little experiment. We got yeah. to be media critics on, <laughs> Our I hope there's more just so we can do it. more episodes like this. I think this is a fun divergence from the... I mean, and now it really did. I will say this much about the book. I seriously want to sit down with my copy and like dig back through the lore again. Um, yeah. I, I, I think most of the lore is a little bit drier than this book, right? Because they're, they're, uh, in most of the cases, they're not as direct of, of narratives like this. I mean, I definitely need a couple of characters I can root for. That, that part is slightly questionable this book, but I, there's a certain level of I can definitely root for Felix and follow along with his adventures. Um, and the TI lore doesn't all have that, so I don't know. But I, I, I want to dig back into it, and I've been seriously thinking about doing like a little mini-series on the show, like in the podcast feed, where I just drop in uh, a recording of me reading like the Jolnar faction sheet or whatever. I really want to oh, do yeah. that. Um, I think yeah. I might just start doing that here soon. Um, just yeah, cause. is this how we backdoor you into becoming a voice actor? Like, yeah, we, that's, we try and I mean, get that's you really to be the goal the... here, right? Is, yeah, is, is that's all I want. But, but right. yeah, I, I think I might, I might, might start doing that. If you, if you want me to do that, please tell me you want me to do that. I mean, people are going to be just like, yeah, do whatever. But like, I don't know. I don't know what purpose yeah. it serves, but something to have in the feed. Just a little audio book for you. A little fifteen minute long audio book of a faction sheet. You know what's fun is today. Uh, I I only realized this about halfway through because I realized people uh, people might have been um surprised by me being so critical about something that i maybe don't know anything about you know what i mean yeah, like we're talking right. about a completely different thing and we're both like yeah um sure. i ha- my degree is in playwriting <laughs> which is a f- weird thing about me that right. i even forget sometimes so i got to use my degree today yeah. which sounds great somewhat ditto i had a minor in creative writing and it was all in screenwriting so oh right yeah 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 neither of That's those are narrative neither was. of those are novel writing but whatever yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, writing adjacent, sure. you know, we got to critique something. So that's fun. 
I want to thank all of our Weird Bears, Farganess, TG Welch, Brian, BotBot, Kaluin, Squeamishimu, Sonaletto, Mate Nason, John, Rwise, Absol, and Ponchadori. And I want to thank our Little Peace Turtles, Naderade, Patience the Virtue, Polyphone, Requiem, Gaskio, Uncle Batty, Dark Jutsu, Istoria, Brave Sir Robin, Br Frank G, Carnal, my son is also named Bort, CAC Jr., and Valir, Sam Lee, and Alice. All right. Um, so, Twitch, um, Friday, on this Friday, this coming Friday, which is February... 26th. Uh, 26th um in the evening time i don't have a solid time for it yet so in the evening time probably around six o'clock p.m central standard time we're doing uh, our homebrewers guild game for public objectives so if you are in the homebrewers guild and you want to submit a public objective uh, this week is your last uh, shot i'll probably be putting it all together on like a thursday so get it in before there otherwise i won't be able to add it because it does take me it takes me a little while it takes me like an hour add everything yeah. uh, to the mod so that it can be all uh cool and sweet um and then for the youtube uh the root tournament finals will actually probably already be out by the time you listen sure. to this uh actually um but also uh i have a game of uh i actually have some ti to upload to wow. the youtube regular ti <laughs> as well we've gotten some complaints lately thank you complainers um but there is a ti game coming out where i play as nomad and matt plays as nra it's me and matt we play uh, a game in the same game yeah, that yeah. hasn't happened in I don't even know how long. Yeah. Um, and I got really mad. Guess what? That's always how it goes, isn't it? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to spoil the game, but I just had a really frustrating penultimate round. And uh, yeah, really messed yeah, me that's... up for a couple days. I'm still sort of reeling from it, but I haven't, yeah, won, I haven't has, won a uh... Twilight Imperium game and coming up on I think three years outside of like weird wind oh, making don't say that. scenarios. Don't say that. Yeah. I said it. I feel bad. <laughs> please, please <laughs> let me win a game. Someone just let me win, please. I try and let you win. Actually, I that won't try. that won't work because then I'll know you let me win and it'll be like, oh, it's just another asterisk, I guess. Anyways, right. that was well, a weird note to go out on. Hey. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> you can also you rate rate my somberness on Apple Podcasts. Say hang in there, buddy. Five stars. We love you. On Here's iTunes. the stars to make you feel better. <laughs> uh, and you can also find information about our Patreon, our Twitter, our Discord, all that stuff at spacecatspeaceturtles.com. Also, uh, get, send us emails uh, with plays of the week. I still want more of those, um, especially as we're hitting tournament season. We're going to want a lot more of them. Um, but I really want to do another This Imperium Life. Um, so spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. Send us uh, your awesome, amazing moments that happen. And it doesn't have to be for the win either. It can just be like the time you got five support for the thrones or something. I don't know. But like send us all of those crazy, crazy plays. Uh, we want to start reading those on the show again. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, also, I just want to say before we get done, you know, I always got to mention, but it's not Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>